Even after living at the homestead property for 27 years, 95% of that property remains in its natural state. And that was intentional. Because one of the best things about being there is the wildlife that we see. We not only want the wildlife to come around, we encourage them to do so by leaving their habitat unaltered. But not everyone feels that way about their own place. In addition to climate change, there is one other thing that will dramatically affect our future on this planet, and that is the loss of species diversity. But there is something very simple that we can do to help curb that problem, and that is the focus of this episode, how to turn your home into a wildlife habitat. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 144, which is called How to Turn Your Home into a Wildlife Habitat. You know, from day one of purchasing the homestead property, I was amazed at how clean and pristine the land was, even with all the development occurring in the Denver area, which was a short 40 miles away. It truly felt as if I was in the middle of the wilderness. And all I had to do to see elk, deer, moose, bighorn sheep, bear, mountain lion, bobcats, coyotes, as well as numerous other critters, was to just simply sit quietly on the porch of the cabin. But even at that time, I actually made the conscious decision that All I really wanted to do was have a small cabin in the middle of the forest and to leave the land as unaltered as possible. And sometimes I still find it somewhat amazing that the property is still 95% intact, even with us living there full time. We have now been here long enough to see the same animals come back every year. And in fact, there's a little marmot that's been dinning on the side of our access road for the last 10 years and every spring we are so happy when we finally get to see him again. And we even recognize certain deer and moose because of characteristic markings and we are so happy when we see that cow moose return with a new baby. And some of the deer have even become so accustomed to us that they continue grazing even as we walk within 20 feet. And it's all because we keep quiet, we walk slowly, and we just allow them to go about their business. But we also get excited when we hear nesting woodpeckers in the aspen grove, and once we find where they are, we will sit for a few hours just simply to watch the adults return time and time again to feed the little babies. 
and we even had a fox that visited us regularly for a good 10 years, and then they came around with babies. And so many times I think of how privileged we are to see this cycle of life that's right out our front door, but that is obviously not the case in many parts of the world because things are changing so rapidly. And almost every day now, we hear about the effects of climate change, heat waves, rivers and reservoirs drying up, extreme weather events, significant property damage, and even people having to leave their homes. But in the midst of all of that bad news, we so often ignore one other thing that will also have a dramatic effect on our future. And that is the loss of species diversity, which is also referred to as biodiversity. Very simply put, species diversity is just the number of different species present in an ecosystem and the relative abundance of each of those species. And biodiversity is the basic foundation of the essential processes that support all of life on Earth, including us humans. And in the absence of a wide range of plants and animals and even the little microorganisms, we would not have the healthy ecosystems that provide us with the air that we breathe and the food that we eat. And according to the Living Planet Index, there has been an astounding 52% decline in biodiversity between 1970 and 2010. And this is almost exclusively related to our population growth, our enormous rate of consumption, and habitat destruction. And according to the World Wildlife Fund, we have picked, logged, plucked, and hunted the animals, trees, flowers, and fish for medicine, souvenirs, status symbols, building materials, and food. And this over-exploitation is currently totally unsustainable. And furthermore, the principal causes of our tremendous loss of biodiversity is habitat destruction, pollution, the introduction of invasive species, over-exploitation, and of course, climate change. And it is interesting to note, folks, that the full effects and impacts of this loss of biodiversity and how or even if our planet will adapt is still very much unknown. And according to the latest study that was published by the Global Change Biology, 95% of the Earth's land surface has some indication of human modification, while 84% of it has multiple human impacts. So that means that presently, only 5% of the Earth's surface is in its natural state. Now, to simply put that into perspective, there is approximately 36 billion acres of land on the planet. And if 5% of that land is unaltered, that is equal to just about 1.8 billion acres. And considering that we are losing and or damaging 
160,000 acres of tropical rainforest every single day, that means that in another 30 years, the entire land surface on this planet will have been altered by human activity. And at present, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, known as NOAA, estimates that there is not a single place left in our oceans that have not been heavily impacted by human activity. And you know, while this may sound discouraging to hear about the extent of changes and irreparable damage that we have done to the planet, there is one simple thing that each of us can do to play our part in preserving our biodiversity. And that is to turn your home into a wildlife habitat. And although our national parks provide immeasurable value due to the protection of land and species diversity, it is possible for all of us to extend that right up to our front door. And that, folks, that's what I want to focus on in this episode, is to provide you with some tips on how you can have your own personal wildlife habitat right at home, because there are numerous things we can all do to make our homes a more equitable, sustainable, healthy, and safe haven for wildlife. And in this episode, I want to focus primarily on five key components of how we can all do just that. But you know, right off you might be saying, well, I already have a yard. I already have a garden. What is the difference between that and having a wildlife habitat? Well, sometimes a yard is just a yard. It's only a yard. It's designed for human use. And it, you know, in fact, it may contain some hedges and bushes and a variety of flowers and a, and a nice little manicured lawn, but that is just not suitable for wildlife. In fact, a garden may even contain a variety of plants and probably should contain a variety of plants and flowers, but you may also be using pesticides and keep it so very neat and tidy, which actually does not encourage the presence of wildlife. But a wildlife habitat actually contains five essential elements, especially if your goal is to have your home certified as a wildlife habitat. And those are some of the things that we're going to cover here very shortly. But just keep in mind that your little personal wildlife habitat, it doesn't have to be a large area. It can, in fact, just simply be a balcony or a garden, uh, an urban lot, and even a schoolyard can actually make a suitable wildlife habitat. So let's take a quick look at what we can all do to make that sort of thing happen. So first of all, first and foremost, you of course have to practice good, you have to have good sustainable management because without this, everything else just seems to be a moot point. So first in line here is really soil and water conservation practices. and. And one of the best things you can do is to limit and reduce and maybe even eliminate those manicured lawn areas. Because turf lawn simply does not benefit wildlife. So instead of that nice little manicured lawn, you can replace that with drought tolerant plants. 
and even consider setting up a rainwater capture system. And replace those wasteful overhead sprinklers with a drip system or even soaker hoses and place mulch over eroded areas to help retain moisture. And the next best thing you can do is to go all organic. So stop using those toxic non-organic pesticides and fertilizers and synthetic chemicals and discontinue using rodent bait because it poses a significant threat to wildlife and your household pets, of course. And instead, you can encourage the presence of beneficial insects and natural predators. Or even use physical pest control methods and recycle and compost yard and garden trimmings to make natural fertilizers. And lastly, choose native or indigenous plant species because after all, these are the ones that are best suited for your local climate and most likely the local critters will recognize them and use them for food, shelter, or both. Essential part number two is, of course, to provide food. And this can even be as simple as providing edible trees and shrubs and other plants, and this can be done in a variety of ways. Things simple as, as simple as flowers or flowering plants provide nectar and pollen for bees, butterflies, moths, and bats. And dried flower heads can even provide seed for birds. And you can even spread around decaying mulch, wood, and leaves, which serves as food for insects, fungi, and mushrooms, and this in turn provides food for the birds. And in addition to all the natural things, you can also provide supplemental food sources such as bird feeders, hummingbird feeders, and even feed the squirrels. Essential part number three, of course, is to provide a source of water. Because all those wild critters need water for a variety of reasons just like we do. They need drinking water and they need bathing water and even certain insects and amphibians need water for breeding. A certified wildlife habitat needs at least one water feature. And this can be something as simple as a bird bath or even a fountain that can provide what they need. And you can even place small little rocks in a bird bath so that insects and small critters have a place to land and get a safe drink of water. But you can also do that by just simply using a shallow bowl out on your deck or table and place small objects in there for the small little critters to land and have a way to get a drink of water. And essential part number four is to provide shelter and cover. So just as we need shelter, so do the insects and wildlife. And this produces not only safety and security, but protection from extreme weather, a place to hide from predators, and sometimes just a place to take a nap. Things such as mature trees and shrubs and vines and even brush piles are suitable, even annual flowers, mulch, and tall native grasses, fallen logs, and boulders can also provide shelter and protection. And essential element number five for a certified wildlife habitat is to provide places 
for the wildlife to raise their young. And this is also a very important thing for providing a local habitat, but in many respects, just simply providing shelter and cover is one of the more important things you can do. And this can also provide wildlife with a place to raise their young. Birdhouses, for example, are a great way to provide nesting areas. And additionally, you can add in bat houses and even owl boxes. And besides being interesting creatures, owls provide a wonderful natural way to control rats and mice. So provided you have all of these five essential elements, your property can actually become a certified wildlife habitat. And this can be as simple as completing a self-certification checklist and registering with the National Wildlife Federation. They charge a mere $20, which of course helps to fund their wildlife conservation efforts. And you can even order a plaque. Additionally, if you want to and put that out in the yard or put it in your wildlife habitat. But even if you don't wanna do that, you can at least go through the checklist and be happy that you have satisfied all the requirements. And as you attract more and more wildlife, you can potentially have hours of entertainment trying to identify as many of the critters as you can. And you know, as I said in the beginning of this episode, there's approximately 95% of the homestead property that remains unchanged from when I purchased that place in 1996. And that said, many of the things that we have done also tend to attract even more wildlife. So as we make changes, those changes are actually wildlife friendly. So for example, as I have slowly thinned the forest and back up the tree line for fire mitigation, almost immediately new grasses and shrubs start to grow and Consequently, this provides even more browse for the wildlife. But then, of course, we work to maintain those areas, and typically it's really very simple things, but one of the things that we've done for years is to maintain those grassy areas because these areas continue to expand as I continue my fire mitigation efforts, and we even remove any invading pine tree sprouts and we also pull and remove certain types of invasive plants such as thistles. So after a couple of years of doing this, I walked into one of these grassy areas just the other day and noted that there is an enormous diversity of plants now growing in an area that was completely overrun with thistles. We have wildflowers that are multiplying like crazy and consequently we see a lot more bees hummingbirds, chipmunks, and squirrels. But we also have a tendency to do this alongside the road up to the cabin. And there is now this grassy area that is about eight feet wide and 500 feet long, right along the edge of the road. And this has also become a very frequent grazing area for deer and moose. And they even return in the winter because all of that nice, tall, native grass, of course, dries out, and it provides them with a little bit of winter browse. So we keep making improvements year after year. We now have feeders and 
bee boxes and birdhouses and even bat houses. And the big project I have in mind next spring is to build several owl boxes and put them in a variety of places around the property. Because you know, it's just one more thing I can do to make that property a friendly place for all the animals that I enjoy seeing on a regular basis. But you know, providing wildlife habitat, it's really just another area in our lives where the small things that we do makes a difference. And you don't have to live in the middle of the forest like we do in order to make that kind of a difference. And no matter where you live, everyone can play a role in helping native wildlife. Even apartments with small windows, condominiums with small balconies, homes with small, medium, or large yards can all become small little havens for a variety of animals. So not only will it provide you with yet another way to reconnect with and learn to love the natural world, because after all, we have a tendency to protect what we love. And the only way we are going to save this planet is to learn to love it. And you know, tomorrow as I slowly drive up the road to the cabin, I'm going to keep a watchful eye out for that crafty little marmot. And I'm going to slowly turn the corner just before the grassy area along the side of the road to check for moose. And then my final stop on the way to the cabin is going to be at the chicken barn to collect some eggs. So all right, folks, I'm going to start wrapping it up here. And you know, as I so often like to do, I, I like to end my episodes with some thoughtful quote. And this time I'm going to quote a little something from Ronald Reagan. And President Reagan and former President Reagan said, We can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. And I think the same really holds true for having a sustainable lifestyle because one person may not be able to save the world, but everyone can do one small thing to make a difference. So the next time you start thinking about making improvements on your property and developing your property, maybe instead of thinking and planning on that manicured lawn, consider turning it into a safe haven for wildlife. Because in that one small way, each of us can do our part to protect the diversity of our planet that is so important for a sustainable future. So well, folks, I think that is just about it for this week. And I certainly hope that you have enjoyed this episode and you will, of course, join me again next week. And until then, folks, this is your host, Patrick, signing off. And always remember to live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.